This podcast is brought to you by Pearson, the company behind the self, Goldman Fristo, and the brand new PPVG5 and EVG3. These new easy-to-use vocabulary assessments are brief and reliable for children aged two and a half all the way up to adults aged 90 and beyond. Learn more about these new tests at pearsonclinical.com backslash exceptional. Well, welcome back to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Rachel Madel. So, Rachel, I had an awesome experience today. Again, I've been, I can't wait, I couldn't wait to share it with you. So, are you ready to hear about this? I got to participate in a high school APE, Physical Education or Field Day, right? So, the, um, the adapted PE teachers from all over the, my school district got together in a gym, and they invited some of the local schools, the elementary, middle, and high schools that I work in, uh, and my part of the, the, the county that I work, so it's just the, the kids that I know, all came in the gym together and they had all these different stations set up where they would, um, you know, knock down buckets or play volleyball or do stacking of cups or, I don't know, they had these scooters and they'd go through these cones, you know, and all sorts of cool stuff. And I uh, got to be part of the beams station. So I don't know, have you ever heard of beams? You know what that is? Like a balance beam? No, no, no. So yeah, oh. that, that definitely not me, right? I was in my leotard. I was like, wow, this is impressive. <laughs> so Beams is not a sponsor. I don't get paid for them, but it is a piece of equipment that has these four lasers, right? And so you put your hand and it breaks the laser. And when you do, when you break the laser, it plays a different music or different beat or different sound, right? So it might have um, this underlying music that's playing and you can purchase like uh like we played in the club right and we, there was also um funky town right and so the music funky town is playing in the background and then you put your hand in front of these beams and it uh, it breaks the light and that causes it's like a switch it causes the music to play like a, an extra drum drum shot or a funky town would be yelled out right so st stuff like that super fun and all the kids that i know right because i work with their speech therapists i work with their uh their teachers but i don't get to see them you know as often as, as, as I would if I was their teacher or their speech therapist, but I got to see them all in one place at one time. So because I'm me, right, I didn't just play the beams. I had an, uh, two different iPads with different apps, right? And so when the kids would come over, I'd be like, okay, this kid's using this app. Let's start modeling, right? So what do you want to do? Play, no, louder, louder, you know, um, more, more. Uh, and it was super fun, super fun. We got to model. We got to have fun with music and kids were dancing, dance, dance, you know. And they would make me dance, you know, they push the button dance and then they'd put their hands in front of the, the beams to operate the music. And that would make Mr. Chris dance like a, like a fool, you know, it was, it was fantastic. Super fun. So I thought you were talking about balance beams, but instead you were talking about cool laser beams. I mean, yes. that's awesome. <laughs> I got to work with laser beams with today. Robots last time, laser beams today. What's tomorrow? Does Chris Bouguet have the best job ever? Because it sounds like it. I think I might. I think I might. Yeah, super fun today. Well, it's really interesting that you brought up music because actually one of the clients that I'm working with, he has just sparked this passion for music now. And he's really into all different kinds of music. And we were, we were writing a story and, you know, I, I oftentimes will use books and I'll have kids formulate sentences about what they see, you know, I'll cover up the words and it's kind of like make your own story. And so we were doing a, a holiday themed book and he made a beautiful sentence. And, you know, he said, the snowman is singing deck the halls and carol of the bells. That was his sentence, which I thought was amazing that he gave specific song references. And so, and then of course, after that, I said, you know, do you like deck the halls? Do you like carol of the bells? Which one's your favorite? And so he says, carol of the bells, I'm like, do you want to listen to it? And of course he got so excited. So we listened to carol of the bells. And at, at some point we were just integrating music and I was doing all types of different things with music. And I don't know how this, this came up, but Spice Girls wannabe that like, if you want to be my lover, that song, um, it came up and he is obsessed with it now. And I feel kind of bad because he's been playing it nonstop. And the parents are probably like, great, Rachel, like really excited that you like threw back this like nineties jam and it's all we hear. Uh, but he's obsessed with it. He loves it. And you know, everyone can, can deal with a little Spice Girls if it means more communication, right? That is fantastic. I, let me ask, do you, have, do you play instrument, Rachel? Have you ever played music? You know, no, I don't. I used to play the flute when I was in school. I played the flute because I thought that would be such a fun instrument to play. And the music teacher sat me down after maybe like three or four months of playing. And he said, listen, 
you have what's called a cupid's bow on your lip and it's not conducive to flute playing. So I think that you should change to the trumpet. To which I said, the trumpet? That doesn't sound like a cool instrument. Like I want a like very like pretty flute, like a, like a fairy princess. And so I gave up band after that because I was like, I don't really know one, why he criticized my lip and two, why he tried to make me play the trumpet. So that was a long-winded answer to say, no, I do not play an instrument. <laughs> Uh, so I played the French horn, but I, I think, you know, I, I gave it up. There's a whole story there why I gave it the French horn. That's a different story for a different day. Um, but I was wondering maybe if the way to teach kids how to play instruments is to first give them the triangle, right? You, once you master a triangle, then you can move on to the xylophones. And once you master the xylophones, then you can move on to, say, the, like, a, like a, a piano, maybe. And then once you're, you master the piano, then you can move on to like uh, electric guitar or something. And then do you, do you think that's probably how it works to teach? I mean, I'm not a music teacher, so I don't really know how it works, but I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Like you give them a, a triangle. Once they master that, then you move on. Yeah. I mean, let's presume that a child's capable of learning any instrument that they want. And, you know, the options are endless as far as, you know, what they want to do. Who are we to say, you know, they have to start with the triangle and then prove that they can play the triangle to then play other instruments? And I think that's what we wanted to talk about today was the presuming competence article that came out in the ASHA leader. Absolutely. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about this article. Uh, so if you haven't read it, I would highly suggest you reading it. Um, it'll give you some context for the discussion we're about to have, um, and we can link to it in the show notes for you guys. But yeah, it was, it was, it's kind of throwing the AAC world for a loop, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with the article, so you can go check it out. Maybe this is a place to pause and go like, well, okay, let me read that. Um, but the name of the article is called The Pitfalls of Presumptions. And the little byline underneath it says, two AAC clinicians explore how the presumed competence framework can lead to problematic communication system selection. The whole article really talks about how presumed competence, and tell me if I got this wrong, Rachel, because we both read it and, and, and have some thoughts about it. So this whole article, though, the idea behind it is that the term presumed competence could be twisted or manipulated in such a way that people could attribute skills to someone who doesn't really have those skills. Well, I'm presuming that they might, they might have those skills, but when really the whole idea is that, that someday they might have those skills. If we only give them enough time and the right tools and right instruction, they would someday have those skills. What were your summary of your takeaways, Rachel? Yeah, so I think that, yeah, you, you summarized it really well. Um, and I think that maybe the, the fear is, or the problem is, putting a really high-tech device in front of a child and them not being able to, quote-unquote, do it, right? Um, and then us saying, oh, well, we're presuming competence, and, you know, that means that they can do it. Um, well, we know that the only way a child's able to do anything is if we teach them how. So I think it just keeps going back to, we need to have a very well thought out and planned implementation strategy. Um, so I think that that's what this comes down to for me is it's like, I can understand at some level where that's coming from. And I don't think that we just like plop a device in front of a child and say that, you know, here you go, let's just presume that you can do all the things, right? I think that, that that's where the implementation strategy comes in. There's a very strategic way that you can implement a new device for a child. And, not, and more importantly, if it's not working, you change it or you pivot or you do something different. Um, you know, but I think that we do need to start with the foundation and the premise that all the things are possible. Um, and maybe they're not possible right now, but they're possible one day with the right teaching. Yeah. You know, I think part of this article that I think raises the hackles of some people when they read it, I'm certainly me, is that I get nervous that in our current society, our swipe past the, the deeping, actually read the article, that people will just read the headlines or the parts that are, you know, called out. And if you do just that, right, if you read the pitfalls of presumptions, and then one of the call outs, uh, just as you're scrolling through the, uh, the article, or you're looking through, it says, if the AAC system is too challenging, the client is not likely to experience the success we know fosters language growth. And that's like a call out. It's like, but that is sort of out of context of what everyone is saying or what most people are saying, which is we're not saying that, um, that a, a robust language system or a complex language system is too challenging for a student. We're saying you start with that and you build up to it and, and then modeling is a huge part of it. This whole article, I felt like it was summed up well in kind of the last few sentences 
where they say like that maybe maybe we should be using the word potential. Uh, that would be a less confusing ar uh, argument, you know. In fact, when the article came out and we were discussing, should we talk about it on this on this podcast? I remember I I sent you a text, Rachel, and said, "Can we just call it presumed potential and be done with it? Like, let's just call call it that, and then we won't have this sort of a uh, fight or consternation about this topic anymore." Yeah, and the other thing that comes up for me is at what point do you decide that it's quote unquote not possible or not working, right? I think that there's this idea, it's like, oh, well, we put this high-tech device in it and they can't do it, which is such a general statement. And there's so much to unpack there. You know, they can't do it. So first of all, you know, does that mean they, just because they can't do it now doesn't mean they'll never do it? Um, you know, and I think that that's where, as clinicians, the onus is on us to figure out how to make it so that they can do it. And I think that that's the problem is that we put so much... Uh, emphasis on, well, maybe this device is wrong. Well, maybe our teaching's wrong. You know, maybe we're not approaching it from a standpoint of getting the child excited to communicate. And there's so many things at play. Um, so just being able to say, oh, well, it's not working or it's too high tech. Um, you know, I don't believe that anything is too high tech for anyone. I really don't. I think we just need enough time. We need enough time and the right teaching. So, yeah, Rachel, I really love how you said that. Like, what what if we had made this presumption? What if we said that it's never the student's fault? The blame never falls on the student because that often is the the case that people will say, yeah, the kid's just not motivated or the kid just doesn't use it. And it's like, no, what if we never blame them and we always put it on ourselves as the adults that are meant to teach them, right? And so as a team, we come up with a better way to work on that instruction. I completely agree with that. If I spend my entire career, say I work with a child my entire career, if I spend my entire career trying to figure out a way to help them communicate, that's, that's my job. You know, even if it takes, you know, years and years and years, um, you know, I won't give up the pursuit of trying to change the way that we're, you know, maybe using a system or we're teaching a system or constantly trying to find things that are engaging for the learner to talk about. Um, you know, but I really think that it's, it's, it's on us. Um, and it's just, it's, it's easy. It's easy to say like they can't do it. Right. That's easy for a clinician to say, because then it's not about us. It's about them. Right. It doesn't require us to do anything except, you know, maybe go back to something that they could do that wasn't as robust. Um, you know, but I think that if we're being, you know, the clinicians that we need to be, we're taking that, we're putting that on our shoulders because that's what we decided to do when we, you know, got into this profession. When we became speech language pathologists, we decided that we were going to help people communicate. And that means thinking outside the box sometimes and, you know, trying different systems and listening to different, you know, feedback from the team to figure out different solutions. Um, but I just, I really think that it's important that we don't, we don't blame the student. I think that's exactly the right way to put it, Chris. The article also talks about kind of the, the candidacy model, right? That uh, for years, people would feel like mm, some students are candidates for AAC and other people are not. In fact, I hear that sometimes still, that 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 specter or ghost still, still raises up out of the grave and comes up and says, hey, Chris, do you think this kid is a candidate for AAC? And it's like, yes, the answer is yes. The joke that I often hear is, um, are they breathing? Then they're a candidate for AAC, you know? And so they talk about this in this article, and that's, uh, I, I think they're right. You know, the, the, the people that write this article are not saying not to presume potential, right? They're not saying that the candidacy model was a good thing or is a good thing. They are saying that, uh, that there are a number of people who might still consider themselves the gatekeepers for who should get AAC and who shouldn't. And the people in this article say that, that that's not what they're advocating for. They are definitely advocating for uh, matching a right system. Once you've decided that a student needs a system, then figuring out the right system. We just have to make sure that articles like this get read and that intention actually comes through. I'm more nervous that people will kind of skim it and not really get what these authors are trying to say, which I believe is they believe in the potential of all people. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I agree with is that, you know, if a system seems to not be working for a child, yes, let's like fix that. You know, but I don't think that means let's go to a low tech system. I mean, and I, I have a client and he actually is doing amazing privately with me. Um, you know, he's not showing the same types of gains at school. Um, and so the team decides without my input, by the way, um, that we're going to go back to PECs. And I say, 
why would we ever go back to PECs? Why would we ever take steps back? That just doesn't, I can't wrap my head around that. There's things that we can shift in the device. You know, there's different things that we can do. Um, there, we could even change systems, although I don't think that's the solution um, oftentimes. But I just feel like it's, I don't understand when there's ever a situation where you would, you know, go backwards in that respect from, from high tech to low tech. You know, going back to that phrase that I quoted because it was a standout in the in the article. Let me read it again. If the system is too challenging, the client is not likely to experience the success that we know fosters language growth. Well, that sort of means pecs in a way. Like maybe a system that is not designed that it will eventually foster language growth uh, to the point where they could say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. Then that system is too challenging. You know. You need to come up with a different system, but I'm afraid people read these sorts of quotes and go, well, they're talking about high-tech AAC that has robust language and it's not matched to the kid's current language abilities, you know? It's like that old analogy, Rachel, that, I, that I've used in the past of ING. How does a kid learn ING? How does a kid learn ED? How does a kid learn plural S, right? I mean, ING for a typically developing student is somewhere around their second birthday, maybe even earlier, they're learning ING, right? And so how do they do that? It's because it's been modeled to them for two years of their life, right? And so how are kids who are using communication devices going to learn those, those morphemes and those uses unless it's modeled to them as well? And you can't model ING on PECS or a low-tech system. You can't model ED with PECS and a low-tech system. You ha- there's only one way to do that. Unless, unless someone corrects me, please correct me. I, I stand to be corrected. Um, but there's one way that I know of, which is to model on the devices. Yeah, I mean, I think we both agree that we need to to support more more robust systems. And I think we can do that. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be open a device and use the template and give all the words. I think that in clinical practice, we need to mask a lot of the vocabulary in the initial stages. Um, I think that it is confusing for kids, you know, if you start them on a system and they have 77 icons, right? I think that that's overwhelming. And I also feel strongly, it's not only overwhelming for kids, but it's also overwhelming for communication partners, which is a whole nother discussion. Um, about, you know, yes, we have to tailor devices to kids and their specific needs, but we also need to take into consideration the communication partners, because if the communication partners don't feel confident with the system, they're not going to be modeling on the system and the system's not going to be used. The children will never learn how to use language. Um, they can navigate to every word, but if they're, they don't see somebody showing them how to use those words in daily life, then the words won't be learned. Let me ask you about the masking there, Rachel. So I know a kid that when they gave him a robust language system, they had to ask that, that, that question. They, they said, okay, do we mask or do we, do we keep it unmasked? And the speech therapist and the teacher decided we're going to keep it unmasked. And they did a word of the week sort of approach where they're teaching, you know, go and stop this week and in and out next week. And they're, they're working through core vocabulary that way. And one day the kid comes in and he, he hits play. And they're like, yeah, it's just random. You know, he's stimming off or whatever. And he goes over and grabs the puzzles. And then he says, play. And it's like they, the speech therapist and the teacher look at each other and they're like, is he, dude, is he just saying play? Like, is he, he's saying play. He's, he's requesting the puzzle. He's saying play. He wants to play. But, and so they sit down and they play with him with the puzzle, right? And they, afterwards, they reflect and they're like, did you teach him play? When did you model play to him? I didn't do. Did you? No, I didn't do it either. Well, play is a word that he knew receptively. Because he was, it was left unmasked, he accidentally discovered play, knew what that word meant. I'm, I'm breaking down what happened subconsciously, right? But, um, but knew what that word meant and then started to use it in context because when he was playing with his device, he discovered the word play and said, oh, I know what that is and started using it, right? And if, if, we, if we were to presume that the student was going to, uh, yeah, that's too many words. You know, that's just too many words we would deny him the chance to show us, to surprise us that he might know the words, right? And so what I often say is maybe the least dangerous assumption is to start with it unmasked until they prove to you that they can't do it, right? That they are stimming on it, that it is too complex, that it is too overwhelming. And there'll, there'll be indicators that show that, right? The kid is pushing it away. The kid might be looking away from it. The kid might be mishitting all over the place and just randomly hitting words, you know? It, today, I started off with that beams, right? One of the kids came over and I'm modeling, but on him, he's just like hitting broccoli, you know? <laughs> broccoli, butterscotch, you know? He's just hitting random things. Like it wasn't all wins, you know? But then I'd show him, I'd go, not broccoli, 
play, you know? But the, so in his case, maybe I would go back and mask a little bit, but I led with the idea that he had to prove to me that he couldn't do it because I was presuming that he could do it until he, the evidence showed that he couldn't. Does that make sense? You got to start someplace. And I want to start with presuming that someday he can get there and that he can prove to me that he can't do it. I absolutely completely agree with that. Um, it reminds me of the Dana Nieder episode about, and the blog that she wrote about us being the gatekeepers. Um, so we have a really big responsibility that, you know, we need to err on the side of all the words, right? And then if it's not working, like you said, then readjust. Um, but I think so often we have this idea in our head that, oh, well, you know, we would only start with a few words because we just want to start slow, you know? But what we fail to realize is that a lot of these kids have high receptive language. They just have never had a way to communicate and demonstrate how much they actually know. And so especially if you're working, you know, with a child who's completely nonverbal, because sometimes I work with kids who are verbal and things like that, um, we don't know. We don't know what they know. And so I think that it's even more important to allow um, for exploration. Another thing that I always tell parents is if we can have all the words, especially when they're just, you know, sitting in the car and all of these, these times where they can just explore their device, they can babble with their device, they can learn where all these words are. That's a surefire way to expedite progress. Um, if a child's able to explore their own device and be curious about what is this picture and what is this word, the more times they hit a button, the more likely they are to learn where that button is, which is half the battle with AAC. Now I totally picture this kid sitting in the back of his car, pressing butterscotch and broccoli and mom, you know, uh, just letting him play with that, you know, just letting him explore those words and the parent sitting in the front seat going, hmm, broccoli, hmm, butterscotch, you know, just some sort of reaction to those words, just to know that like those things mean something, you know, and even if they don't to the student, why not let him explore and play with those things so that when he finds them, so that later on, one day when he is sitting in front of a bowl of butterscotch candy and he's at grandma's house, right, that he might know, oh, that word, you know, I, I remember that, like, that's, that's part of learning. We, that's how we, that's how I learned how to use my phone. The iPhone or your, your Windows phone or your, your Pixel or whatever you have doesn't come with an instructional manual, right? You just play and you learn and you press the wrong buttons and you goof it up and you, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's meant to be played with. So I think that's all part of it is just um, is letting the kids explore. Absolutely. So we talked a lot about presuming potential and a lot about high-tech devices. And I was lucky enough to do tons of interviews at ASHA uh, with lots of different app developers. Um, and we, we talked with, I talked, I feel like I talked with so many people, both you know, on air. And also I was just kind of walking around the exhibition hall as, as you do at ASHA and seeing some of the, the new technology and the new apps. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited because some of these apps are doing amazing things and have amazing updates. Um, and so I would, uh, I'm excited for this interview uh, because I was talking to some, some really amazing app developers. I can't wait to hear about, uh, you know, I think, you know, going to one of these conferences and talking to the app developers is a great way to find out what the new features are. It's a great way. My experience has been to give feedback to the app developers about features that you want. Hey, have you thought about adding this feature in? Have you, have you thought about, you know, this, this app over here does this. Could you build that into this system, you know? And my experience has been that they are extremely receptive to that. You know, they want to hear more ideas. And if they can, they will try and build it in because they're trying to build a system that works for as many people as possible. Something that I really appreciate about these app companies is that at some level, this is really great competition, right? The fact that they are all competing against each other mean that they're innovating and they're creating technologies, kind of trying to one-up each other with all of their features, um, which is great. But, you know, we, we win because of that, that competition um, because we keep getting all of these amazing innovations and all of these brand new technologies. Um, you know, so sometimes people kind of are like, oh, man, there's so many apps and all these decisions and it would just be so much easier if there was one. And I'm like, no, because then, you know, they would be complacent. They would have the entire market and uh, there wouldn't be as many innovations. So I think that's something to, to keep in mind when we're kind of complaining about all the different apps there are out there. And, you know, I'll be the first to admit it's hard knowing all the apps. They all have so many things and so many features and they're all pretty similar, but all very different in a lot of ways. Um, you know, so it is challenging when you're, you're supposed to be the master of all apps um, as an AAC specialist, but it, it's really important that there's lots of them because they all do different things and they all suit learners in different ways. Rachel, who do your interviews with? 
Ah, I did so many great interviews. Um, I talked with Brian Whitmer from Cough Drop. I talked with Heidi Lestraco from Speak for Yourself. Um, I talked to Sarah Wilds from PRC. I talked with Bill Binko, who designed Lesson Picks. He also talked about AT Makers at ATIA. Um, so we have a lot of really, really great interviews. Bill Binko, one of our first episodes on this podcast. Scroll through, you'll find him. Yeah, and Heidi Lestraco, actually, very, very early on. I was talking to her and I said, oh, we need to have you come back on. All right, so without further ado, I cannot wait to hear these interviews from ASHA 2018. Here with Bill Binko. Bill, how are you doing? Doing great. Awesome. How's your ASHA conference going so far? It's going wonderful. I've been in the Lesson Picks booth. We were packed. You uh, have been working hard. So your booth is actually right across from our booth. It is. And I've been seeing you hustling all so, three days. Yeah, they, they, they call me a machine because it's just the next demo, the next demo, the next demo. Uh, but it's great. It's a lot of fun. It's actually, it's, it kind of brings a little life back into you because this is the one place every year that people absolutely love us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people do love you. You also were giving away a caribou game. Well, that helped. So explain to our listeners who might not be familiar with Lesson Picks, what, what is Lesson Picks? Sure. So Lesson Picks is a tool for making visuals. We are used by speech paths, but also by special ed teachers, even gen ed teachers who want to make bingo games and playing cards. Um, we've got um, over 46,000 symbols. 40,000 of those are original. They're ours. The other 6,000 are the Prinky, Romic, uh, Unity symbols, the MinSpeak symbols. So if you've got the accent devices, they're in there too. Uh, so they've been a great partner with us as well. But at, at this point, it's a way that you can very quickly come in uh, use the sound finder to find things by sound or, or a minimal pairs tool. Quickly make things that are specific to what you're trying to work with as a speech path. Crank out bingo games, playing cards, things like that, uh, and make it. And we've made it very affordable. It's $36 a year, uh, which compared to our competitors is exceptionally affordable. Uh, so we have, uh, and the reason for that is very simple. A lot of people here, Ash is the one place where people tell me I'm underpriced, right? Everywhere else, they're, they're just happy. But here they tell me that, and I'm like, well, half our users are gen ed teachers and parents. So lots and lots of parents buy us, and $36 is the right price for them. So, uh, But here, yes, I could, I could probably do like a pro version here, and it yes. that doesn't work that way. You definitely could, so. and I actually love Lesson Picks. So I'm, I'm, you use it. I'm a user, um, and I think that it's really easy to use, and it's, it's really nice when you're kind of in a pinch and you just need something really quickly. You can go in there, find it, print it, and you're yeah. ready. You're yep. ready to roll. And it works on anything. So if you've got a Mac or a PC, you just where even if you're itinerant, you're sitting at somebody else's desk, you can always get to your stuff. So we've done a lot of things like that that ended up working out well. So we're really thrilled with it, and. Uh, Growing like a weed, which is exhausting, but uh, it's great. But a, a good problem to have, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. We're never going to complain about that. Absolutely. So. so let's talk a little bit about AT Makers because, you know, we have an AAC podcast, and I know that our listeners who probably already know about it, but some who don't, please explain oh, sure, what I'm it sure is. I'm sure a lot don't. We're only about a year and a half old. So um, as, as Lesson Picks grew, I ended up at a lot of uh, conferences like ATIA and GATE and things like that. I ended up in the exhibit hall, and I got to see all the AT... Um, uh, devices that were being sold and things like that. And a lot of them, it seemed, might be doable by uh, more of the maker population. I don't know if you know the maker movement. It's um, These are people who are, they find a better, more value in making things than buying them. And so a lot of them are technology people, but also uh, people who can sew, people who can uh, woodwork, things like that. But a lot of them have the ability to make things for AT users. Uh, that they, Then you don't have to buy them. And they can be customized for somebody. So I started a, an organization about um, almost two years ago, two years ago in December, that um, they were very excited right behind me. But yeah. They sure were. Yeah. So um, <laughs> it's okay. I started a, a charity, a 501c3 charity, about two years ago to with the mission to introduce the AT community to the maker community. So introduce the AT group in the school district with their robotics teams. And Turns out they've got a great synergy. The robotics teams need service hours. They need the ability to um, get meaningful uh, interaction with their community. And of course, the AT community desperately needs technology help. And the, ro the robotics teams, they have 3D printers and they know how to use them. They have electronics and they know how to solder. So it's been a great uh, partnership. We've got a big thing coming up in January at ATIA. Uh, the Maker Day is uh, half the day, well, the, the full day, nine, 8 to 12 on Saturday is the full day of the convention, and we are taking over about half of the, the exhibit hall. 
we'll have a ton of high school kids that are going to be teaching the, the OTs and PTs and speech paths how to solder, how to make switches, how to adapt toys, all kinds of fun stuff. So it was, it was the life of, the, of the, the conference last year, and I hope it is this year too. So we're doing that one. So last conference was the first time that you did this. It is. It, it was the first one, and i got to give Dave Dichter, from CEO, the CEO of ATI, a lot of credit. He actually thought of it. Um, we had done some smaller venue stuff, um, and he said, we want you to... It, it, there was some there was some other motivation there. He, they have um, they need to keep people in the exhibit hall on Saturday. It's 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 Orlando in January and Disney is right down the street, right? So yeah. uh, it was there's motivation in doing the right thing. And I don't want to put that down, but also we did a very good job of keeping people in the place and everybody stayed and was excited and it was great. It was a lot of fun. More than one person said it was a great way to get sent, right? So it was the last thing they did, and they left all energized. It was a lot of fun. Which is hard to do at a uh, conference. Yeah. You, yeah. To say the, that the last you, day. You, you left energized? Yeah. Yeah, no, most people are ex- You are. You yeah, are. I I'm am. I'm tired. You so, can see yeah. it on my face. So, so we, we've both been in a booth, you know, all week, and you stand the whole time, but... Um, no, but it's great. It's absolutely uh, it's a great way to end the conference, and it was uh, a big hit last year. I was just up in the New Hampshire AT for All. I'm going to get the wrong name, but uh, Therese Wilcox, Stacey Wilcox, um, set up a, a fantastic um, whole conference on making assistive technology, and that includes AAC. It includes mounts for AAC devices, um, and that was a fabulous thing as well. And it was a, kind of the same little core that is working on all these projects, so it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think that it's something that a lot of speech pass they don't really know about. Um, yeah. They kind of, it's not their, their forte necessarily. Right. So it's a really great opportunity to learn more about something that really impacts a lot of the users that we work with. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really cool. And I know I know that Chris and Lucas are both big fans of AT Makers um, and what you guys are doing. So. Yeah, we've had a lot of fun. And they've both been great to partner with. I mean, Chris is at, at Loud schools which is a partner on both sides both AT makers and uh, lesson picks and Lucas and I have known each other since well before his current role so it's been a lot of fun yeah and AT makers you have a Facebook group right we do actually most of the most of the so atmakers.org is the website and if you go there you'll find the finished products the finished projects and the posts about it um, but if you go to the Facebook group which is also linked to there it's where all the in-flight happens and and the reason we're, I'm, I'm not a big Facebook fan. I really, and you'd, you'd never know it because I'm always on Facebook. But they actually shut down my group and made me all angry. But I saw they, that. Um, they, um, <laughs> I saw you angry on Facebook. I, I was very angry on Facebook. <laughs> but um, it, we, we have to be there. It is where the support groups for SMA and CP and and it's how people find us. And and they'll they'll have somebody like um, like Ella Hunt, who's a little girl with spinal muscular atrophy, needed a way to control her power chair. With she only has two switches she can control. Her mom reached out to the SMA group. Somebody there forwarded forwarded her to us, and we were able to find a group. Actually, there's a robotics team in uh, Elkar in uh, Mishawaka, Indiana, made her everything that she needed to make this work. And we've got this great partnership now, where the kids are getting something out of working with Ella, which changes their life. Right? Yeah. It, cha- it makes them better humans. Absolutely. Um, and then Ella, of course, has all the support she needs. So we we like we have a love hate fa- uh, relationship with Facebook. Um, we'd like to be somewhere else, but it is where we are. I so. know. I, I have that uh, similar love-hate relationship with Facebook. Yes, yes. Um, I'm there, but sometimes I don't want to be. <laughs> well, if you search for AT Makers, uh, it's actually called AT Makers Users and, um, and Makers, and you'll find uh, that group. We'd love to have you join us. Absolutely. And yeah. where can people find Lesson Picks? So Lesson Picks is LessonPicks.com. That's an easy one. Simple. We'll, uh, we'll definitely link in the show notes. Excellent. Thank you very much. Glad uh, to be here. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Bill. I All know right. I know we're tired. We've worked we've worked hard these last three days. Um, so I appreciate you stopping by oh, and it's been great. talking been great. with us. Yep. All right. Thanks, thanks Bill. Bye. I'm here with Cindy Halloran, um, and she's from the Center for AAC and Autism. I'm so excited she's popping over um, to tell us what's going on at ASHA. What are you guys? What are you guys doing over here? Um, we're talking about the Lamp approach and um, the trainings that we're doing, and the Lamp Words for Life language system. And we're really excited because we just um, helped PRC release a new version of Lamp Words for Life for those who have visual impairment. So we're excited to tell the attendees here at ASHA about that, and we've gotten a lot of really good feedback from them. So. 
I was really excited to see this. I just saw it a, a week or two ago on social media, and I was I was excited because I feel like there's not a lot out there. Um, there's a lot of low tech solutions. I feel like within the high contrast, um, you know, visually impaired uh, clientels. But um, to see you guys releasing something was was really exciting for me. Well, great. We think it's a, a really good solution to give kids with visual impairment and adults with visual impairment a a high tech solution and an opportunity and a pathway for complex communication, but being able to start at a very simple level. Um, Lamboards for Life is built on the concept that every word in the system has one unique and consistent motor movement. And that consistent motor movement is so important for people who can't rely on their vision to scan and find their um, icons in the pictures. So we think that is going to be really important for them because everything, the way words are in the system is static. Even though the screen changes, that motor pattern for those words never change. So I think it would be a, a a good solution. Absolutely. And motor planning, we know, is really important across the board, but it's even more important for those with visual impairment. We don't want them visually scanning you know, a screen. We want them to have those learned motor plans that they can do without looking. Um, I actually uh, presented last night, and I do 10 cardinal rules to AAC implementation, and the number one is support motor planning um, because we just know that how effective that is you know, as far as rate enhancement and, and all these things. It's so important to have buttons stay the same place um, right so I'm really excited to to hear that you guys are you know of course supporting that approach to motor planning but also then the the high contrast so besides the high contrast what are the differences between the two systems right so um, it's pretty much almost the same as the um, lampboards for life that people are familiar with now the only changes that we did made like you said the high contrast icons a black background um, we simplified some of the motor patterns, so these folks are having to touch and feel and find their locations. So once they've found a location um, to say a word, they're not following the typical patterns in a Unity system or Lamboards for Life where they move to where a verb ends or where an adjective ends. Um, those words become double taps. So once they find a button, they just hit that button twice instead of having to you know, search and find a different location to help speed up their rate. We've left on many screens in the system, the three of the corners blank. So that's where your favorite foods and favorite nouns can go because corners are very easy to find. Um, there is also a tactile key guide um, that is available for the Accent 1000 that has um, raised tactile cues around the edges and in the middle of the key guard so that every word is right next to a tactile cue or one spot away to help those folks find their locations. That is amazing. I'm really excited to share and I'm really happy that you were able to, to join us to just speak briefly on, on what you guys are doing. Um, thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. here with Heidi Lestraco from Speak for Yourself. I'm so excited she popped by. How are you doing, Heidi? I'm doing well. How are you, Rachel? I'm so good. I'm tired, though, Heidi. I have to be honest. It's like, what, 3.30? And I'm just exhausted. It's day two of the conference, and I just feel like I need to go home and take a power nap before yeah. before all these dinners and happy hours and all these things I have later tonight. I hear you. Asha is nonstop. Every year for us, I mean, we're always so busy at the booth, and then we're also busy all night catching up with everybody socially. So it's, it's just an exhausting few days, but it's so worth it and so exciting. You know, we met last year at ASHA yes. and it's just, it's really cool. Yes. Um, is there anything new going on with, with Speak for Yourself? Well, we're right now we're working on a trial version so mm -hmm. that people can have it for free for 30 days. So that's not out yet, but that is our next thing um, that we're going to be releasing so that anybody can try it for free for 30 days. So we're actually doing it by updating our light version. Oh, so that's amazing. how that's going to be available. Um, we have a lot of updates. We've added a lot of voices this year. Um, we're always, you know, we've had, I think, I think it was 14 updates that we've done oh, wow. in um, 2018. So yeah, we're definitely always, you know, trying to make it better, making sure it's compatible. It's, wow. <laughs> it's a labor of love for sure, but exactly. yeah, we absolutely love I mean, doing it. And that's a lot of updates. I'm really like it impressed. Is. It mean, is. This is our eighth ASHA exhibiting for Speak for Yourself. Wow. If you can believe that. We were talking about that. That was one of our um, car trip conversations up here that this, <laughs> we're like trying to figure out, but our first one was in um, 2011 in San Diego, oh. where we wow. exhibited Speak for Yourself, and here we are in 2018. Exactly. So, yeah. oh, well, it's so cool. I'm really, I'm really excited about the the swag that you have at your table. Can you? We're gonna try our best, dear listeners, to explain <laughs> what this is. But I think it's an amazing idea. 
What yeah. are you guys giving away? We um, create, we made little cell phone wallets. So it's basically a little pocket that's about the size of a business card. And you can peel off the back and stick it on the back of your cell phone. So some of you may have it for other things. But we actually, it's a little bright green cell phone wallet. And in it, we made business cards that have the... Um, learning to speak action plan list on them so that people can have it on the back of a child's device and everybody can know what words they're targeting for that week for modeling. So um, really nice little like therapy tool and resource and people have been really excited about them. I am obsessed with them. Um, yes. This is a great idea. Uh, I just love, first of all, the idea of giving certain vocabulary to target because mm -hmm. I think part of the problem is that, you know, we, we advocate, you model all the time, all the things. Right. And that's overwhelming. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, I mean, all the things is a lot. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Like model all the time on top of everything else you're doing. You know, also find the device and model on it. And some people are fine with that. I think some people might like the flexibility of that where it's like, oh, I can't do anything wrong. I'm just going to model everything. But I think that some people, it really helps them if they have a pointed thing and a target that they're trying to model. So that's really what we're trying to do with this is just give somebody a little bit of direction so that then they can maybe branch off and model more things and feel more, more comfortable as they learn the device that they're using. Exactly. And I, I'm such a big advocate of making sure that we start simple enough for some people that mm -hmm. they don't feel so overwhelmed that they don't even, they, they give up before they even start. Right. And I think that this is a perfect idea um, to just give some guidance. Um, I always take for granted the fact that I am a speech language pathologist and I kind of eat, live, breathe communication and even more specific to that devices. Right. And not everyone's like that. You know, if a parent just has a child who just started with an AAC system, like they don't, they don't think through that yeah. lens. They don't I think. I core vocabulary isn't a core word for everybody. I mean, we no. use it all the time. I mean, it's something that I say a lot, yeah. but, but I mean, not every day. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It would probably make my core wordless, but. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> core is in my personal core. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. Oh, but yeah, this is awesome. I'm really excited for this. And I always love when you get really useful things. Sometimes yes. it's like, oh, here's a pen and here's a notepad. So I think it's it's really cool to go through the exhibit hall and, and see what people are kind of giving away and um, seeing all the kind of new vendors that are popping up. And it's always it's a fun exciting place to be. Yes. Yes, it definitely is. So I, I mean, we, you know, definitely if you're around and if you're hearing this, stop by. I mean, if we're probably going to have them at ATIA also. So awesome. if anyone's going to be at that conference, you know, definitely stop by and see us. And it is definitely a very useful little yeah, you know, trinket. And it feels like something that you could easily do on your own, right? Like yeah. you could just like make up business cards and put your own words in there. Exactly. Yeah. And you could we just, just got it started. Do a core word of the week. Well, you yeah. know, yeah, you know where it started. Speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Like so many things, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Heidi, thank you so much for stopping by. We're so excited to, you know, share all these amazing things, all the updates that you guys are are doing. And, um, you know, it's just exciting to, to see you again. Yeah. So nice to see you too, Rachel. And thanks for taking the time to talk to everybody. Thanks so much, Heidi. All right. Take care. Thanks. <laughs> I'm here with Sarah Wilds from PRC Saltillo. I'm really excited. She sat by our booth uh, to talk to us about a new website that's launching. So Absolutely. explain it to us. It launched yesterday, actually. Oh, awesome. So we launched it just for ASHA called Explore AAC. So you can go to it at exploreaac.com. And what we've realized is, so I've worked in the field for 15 years with AAC. I feel like I know the ins and outs of it, but every day I meet people who don't know the ins and outs. So parents who are getting devices for kids, parents whose therapists have told them, you know, we might need to explore something that's different type of communication new therapists that are brand new to the field and kind of want to learn about it, hear acronyms, but don't know what they mean. So we've put together basically an intro tutorial of um, AAC for the newbie, which awesome. is fantastic. So um, it starts off and it goes, has a glossary that you can search for terms. Um, it has six separate sections. So thinking about things like what does AAC mean? What is the difference between augmentative and alternative? Yeah. Um, talking about uh, communication and language, what that difference is and helping parents kind of walk through that. We have user stories, so folks who use our devices, PRC devices, Saltillo devices, um, our hope is that parents go through and recognize the power that AAC can have in Absolutely. folks' lives. Absolutely. Um, what else? We talk about our products, so we do an overview of PRC products, mm -hmm. Accent Line, Prio Line, overview of Saltillo products, Nova Chats and Chat Fusions, and our apps as well. Um, and then give really nice interactive um, modules for people to kind of explore what it means and how they would actually use a device, low-tech boards, and where to find your consultant so that you can get more. 
it's very yeah. comprehensive. I think so. I it's love great. it. So, and and what is the medium? Is it it's just written text, or is there any video components? Or? So there's kind of two. I think of it as a two-layered website. On the first layer is mostly text. There's video when we have our client stories that we talk about, um, and then the like the. I talk with my hands, and so I'm doing these hand movements. Underneath um, are uh, modules. So they're interactive learning modules designed for adult learning. Um, So places where you can click and drag to learn about definitions, videos, audio that's there. So there's kind of the front side, which is more the flashy part, and then underneath you can delve in a little bit more. I love this, and I love the user stories because I feel like it's it's hard to kind of envision when you're starting off on the AAC process, I can imagine, as parents, um, to know what that looks like. We're a speech-language pathologist, so we kind have seen a broad scope a lot of times of what successful AAC users you know what that looks like yep. um, so I think that the the user success stories is uh, what I'm I'm most excited to see that's my favorite part of it yep pictures are priceless videos are wonderful um, and to realize that it's an exciting road even though it might be a little scary at first exactly yep. so how do what what is the what is the website exploreaac.com Awesome. Yep. And it's it's totally free and it's anyone totally can access it. totally free, yep. And we'll keep adding to it. So it's launched now, but we'll add more interactive features as we go along. So yeah, stop by, drop us a line. Exactly. Amazing. We will link to that in the show notes. Awesome. Um, thank you so much, Sarah, for, for popping over and letting us know about this new website. My Perfect pleasure. timing. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. Uh, I am here with Brian Whitmer from Cough Drop. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? Hey, very good. How are you? I'm excited. You know why? I'm wearing a really cool T-shirt. It is pretty cool. Not going to lie. Explain explain all this this T-shirt business. So every year we do a new T-shirt for Cough Drop and we bring it to the conferences with us. This year's uh, says stop, collaborate, and listen, uh, which if you uh, lived through the early 90s, you should probably recognize. Yes. I love anomalies. <laughs> true, true story. True life. <laughs> I love it. So you have different T-shirts every every conference season? Yeah. Every- so, so what we do, we try to put together an AAC T-shirt that works for a little bit of humor, but also about advocacy. So whenever anybody sees the shirt, they can say, you know, I don't, maybe they say, I don't get it, or I don't understand why are there squares, those like buttons, why are there buttons on your shirt? And it gives people who wear it an opportunity to say, well, let me tell you about AAC. Let me tell you what this means. Absolutely. And I think that's really big. Obviously, we're in a conference hall with a bunch of speech language pathologists and they kind of get it. But I think that uh, the important piece is when we go out in the community and we're wearing things like this and um, it really opens a dialogue for conversation about what is AAC. And I feel like a lot of times we're so sucked into the the details of our job and I'm so used to working with individuals who can't communicate verbally and use technology. It's hard to, to imagine what that's like to not understand that. So I think that that is... Um, it's really cool. Yeah. So a couple years ago, we had a shirt that said, shut up and model with me, uh, like the song, uh, which was great because, again, a lot of people said, you know, what do you mean by modeling? And, and we all get it in the community. But outside of this community, when you talk about modeling, it has a different meaning. And so being able to explain and advocate again for communication and supporting communicators is really valuable. Absolutely. So how, how many years have you been doing this? Uh, this is our fourth year, I think. Okay. And are they always lyrics? No. So we did a Verizon one. We did Can You Hear Me Now? Uh, and then last year we did, it was an A-team reference. It says, I love it when a motor plan comes together. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> so who comes up with these? We kind of brainstorm. What happens is we all get together at the company at Cough Drop and we say, you know, let's come up with some ideas. And we come up with terrible ideas. Like they're really bad. And then eventually we kind of say, actually, maybe we should do this. And then we come to something that isn't horrible and we put it together and usually it works out. Do you ever feel the pressure like, oh, my goodness, we're not going to think of something that's going to stick? Every time. Okay, I was going <laughs> to yeah. say, like, that would be my fear. This, yeah. this isn't going to work out this year. <laughs> and now there's this. Now there's going to be podcast proof that this is what you do every year. Right, so yeah, next the expectation. Year, the, the pressure's really on. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Brian, for coming and talking to us. Um, you know, I love Cough Drop, and there's so many really cool features of it. Um, so I'm just really pumped to see you, as always, and uh, really excited that you were able to stop by our, our booth. Yeah, happy to come over. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Hi, this is Mei-Ling Chan, CEO of Exceptional Ed and the Exceptional Podcast Network, and I had an amazing time at the American Speech-Language Hearing Association 2018 National Convention in Boston last week. I want to share the live interview of our Vote for Me winner. 
25 people who visit our booth said yes to a quick podcast interview, and they boosted up the likes on their Facebook Live video. Summer Lore won the $100 Amazon gift card with over 350 likes, and here is her guest debut on this podcast. Okay, so I am so excited to have Summer Lore here with me live on the mic at ASHA 18. Welcome, Summer. Hey, happy to be here. Oh, it's so good to see you. So I know Summer from online, and she's been in a couple of the uh, online conferences with us at XED, and so to see her in person is just amazing. And of course, to hug her is even better. Yes, I Yay. love hugs. All right, so can you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to? Well, I have been uh, working with my Facebook group, which is about 2,100 uh type B SLPs. Wow. So it's important to know that we're not all type A's. Right now the group is uh, secret and kind of hard to get into because it is, uh, well, honestly, because maintaining quality in a Facebook group is hard work. Yeah. It is really difficult. So um, what I have is my 2100 uh, BFFs who are just really serious about the community and a lot of them are really happy to know that there are other SLPs who are like them. That's amazing. So I think there's like 150,000 speech language pathologists now and I know there's got to be more of a percentage that's B even though I think most are tightly wound like I am like A type. Well it's interesting because so many people tell me that they've never met anyone like them before. Or maybe they have their one friend from grad school, but when you get to ASHA and it's a, a sea of perfect hair and riding boots, it's easy to feel <laughs> overwhelmed and like everyone else is doing it right Aww. and you don't know what you're doing. Aww. That's amazing. You know, even everything about you is very calm, like your cadence and I'm feeling myself just getting very calm talking to you. Yeah, I thought about doing a meditation CDs or something. I love that. Just listen to my voice, the mm -hmm. quiet of Summer's voice. Well, and I think it serves me really well at my job. I work with um, elementary and middle school kids on the moderate to severe end of the spectrum. And I find for a lot of them, and especially the other population I work with, emotional disturbance, I can be the calm spot in their day. And it's been really meaningful to have, you know, a kid who will be uh, screaming and thrashing around and then all of a sudden say, oh, hi, Summer, are we going to do speech now? Yeah. Um, which happens more often than I really understand. That's beautiful. You have such a gift, Summer. Thank you. Okay, so I got to get a little uh, more personal with you here. This is a yeah. live podcast. Do you have a mentor or mentors in your life? I have a few mentors. One of the things I've been really lucky with in life is that I just find mentors when the time is right. Uh, Julia Kuhn from The Traveling Traveler, who um, is in my group, has been wonderful. I really like what she's done with her blog, and um, she also has a Facebook group and is good at bringing people together and also finding ways to make that into a business. Fantastic. I love that. Well, thank you so much for say, taking some time to jump on the live podcast with me here at ASHA 18. And she is putting in for the Amazon gift card, so I hope that you get enough likes on Facebook so that we can also air this across all three of our podcasts. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.